in Christ, there is no condemnation and we should not pretend like people are goody two shoes. No, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't uh, revise history, but we should be grateful to God that that's how gracious he is, that he would save what we would consider the worst type of person. And guess what? We're also in that category. He saved us. And we're back with another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Kyra Devereaux. And today we're going to be talking about the life of one of the most famous hymn writers we've covered so far. That's right, we're back with an episode on the life of John Newton. We'll be discussing love at first sight, the prophetic mockings of an African princess, and whether there is a place for men like John Newton in the modern world. That's right. But before we jump in, if you're new here, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on social media at HimPartial or visit our website, HimPartial.com, where you can sign up for a completely free, completely awesome and tailored newsletter. Not tailored to you, but tailored to our episode that we'll be dropping weekly. That's a weekly newsletter that's completely free. Get that at HimPartial.com. Over to you. So I think it's probably wise um, just to note that if you have young children around while you're listening to this, there may be some themes in this episode that you might not feel ready to discuss with them yet. Uh, John Newton was, after all, thought to be the scum of the earth, even by the scum of the earth mm. in his early years. Um, and even as he mellowed, there were some vices that were part of the slave trade that he still indulged in. Um Obviously, we won't be going into sordid details, but this episode is about a man who knew exactly what it meant to call himself a wretch. And it's important to talk about some of these things in relation to his life. So I thought I'd just give you, you know, fair warning. Yeah. Okay. So, Monet, you ready for this? Yeah. Edge of my seat. <laughs> it's not as bad as that warning sounds. I just, <laughs> you know, for our sensitive listeners. No, okay. it's a good warning. Um, it actually crossed my mind to wonder what Newton would actually think about the two of us, like sitting, talking together like this. Just Wow. It's very meta. Yeah, because like, it's very <laughs> like, I mean, in his early years, I'm sure he would have been horrified. But, you mm -hmm. know, later on, I wonder if he would have been like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I never really think about that. It is kind of a weird concept to have you know, Christians just sit and chat about you and who you are and what you've done. But also because like, we're very different racially. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I wonder. Yeah. 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 We, we don't think about it now, Actually. but it no, crossed yeah. my mind. Never think about that kind of stuff. But yeah, it is, it is very interesting. Anyway, that was just kind of like one of those, I should be going to bed now thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> so having thought a lot about his life, and thought through various ideas of how to structure this episode without being just like a massive long info dump. Mm -hmm. um, I decided that instead of giving like a strictly chronological account that covers everything, I'd like to pull a few themes from Newton's life that are pertinent to us today. Yeah. And I think it will touch on some conversations that we've had off camera, mm -hmm. um, but I know it will be edifying. So that's good. Yeah, well, let's dig into it. I'm excited. 
I'm excited too. And I want to open with a beautiful quote from Philip Yancey, who wrote the foreword to Jonathan Aitken's biography of Newton, which I highly recommend. Okay. Um, he opens with this line, grace, like water, always flows downwards to the lowest place. Wow. And I think that's a beautiful truth to just hold in your mind as you listen. So... Newton was born July 24th, 1725, and was named after his dad, who was a sea captain, who hmm. was like super formal with his son to the point that it was kind of a little bit cold. Um, hmm. But later in life, it would turn out that, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't, he didn't love him. Um, so because his dad is away a lot, he was mostly raised by his mum, who was a faithful Christian. Um, she did teach him a lot. But you kind of wonder if she she pushed it a bit much, because by the time he was five, he'd memorized like whole books um, and catechisms. Wow. Um, yeah, it's kind of a bit much for a, a five year old to manage, but he did it, and she really wanted him to become a minister. Um, okay. But she passed away. She got sick and passed away when he was really quite young. Hmm. But it turned out that all those things that she taught him laid a really important foundation later in life yeah um and he wouldn't realize that for many years to come wow so newton's dad she died his mum died while his dad was away and he didn't come back straight away he had to finish his like voyage Mm -hmm. um and he kind of got back and was like oh my wife's dead okay um he didn't mourn for very long he took a second wife pretty quickly and they wow. had two sons and a daughter and as can often happen Newton kind of ended up sidelined now that his father had this new family Aww. I know it's sad and I kind of wondered if the combination of his dad being quite emotionally distant the loss of his mum and then this whole thing with his dad kind of moving on and almost like replacing his family so quickly maybe didn't help with Newton, Newton's behavior and his, his kind of rebelliousness and the way he went off the rails. Oh. I mean, it's not an excuse, but I wondered if maybe some of that stuff didn't help him acting out. Yeah. He was a really good student, though. He was excellent at Latin, um, but at the mature age of 10 years old, all of his formal education was stopped and his dad decided it was time for him to go to sea. So his first first voyage was to Spain at the age of 11. Wow. I mean, what were you doing when you were like 10, 11 years old? <laughs> yeah, I surely wasn't on no, um, uh, what is it, uh, life-threatening journey across the sea. That's That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was probably still, like, climbing trees in my fake mithril shirts. So. <laughs> Nowhere near as mature as Newton. No. Um, but it's kind of at this point in his early teens that his impulsiveness and his rebelliousness are beginning to show. Mm. Um, and although they made several voyages together, him and his father, um, they went to the Mediterranean, I think, five times over a course of six years. Um, things didn't really improve with them their relationship never mm. kind of got any better. Um, so during the next few years, he had a couple of near-death experiences in which he was kind of shocked enough to think about repentance and to try and live a little bit better. But he always kind of slid back into his old ways in the end. So mm-hmm. 
he kind of ended up just flip-flopping between indulging his appetite for sin and then he'd go through these phases where he'd like eat up religious books um, and try and live a holy life and everything. Okay. And it just made him miserable because there was no genuine faith there. Yeah. Um, in the end, he was press ganged into the Navy. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with press ganging. It's a bit unusual. No, that sounds, that sounds painful. What is well, it? It's basically gangs of people that force you into the armed services. So I think back in the day, they would like, there'd be gangs of army or navy or whatever. And mm-hmm. they just like roam about and find fit young guys or just cool. any able bodied person. And they'd effectively be like, we're recruiting you. And that was it. You had to wow. join. Wow. Um, so the, there was a war coming up with the French. So mm-hmm. they were like, oh, hey, hey, young fit guy with seafaring experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> and his dad actually tried to get him out of it. Because um, hmm. he's quite a well-known captain. But obviously, mm-hmm. Newton was too valuable. Um, he wasn't just some, like, clueless guy. He, yeah. he was a sailor. Yeah. Um, and I think... His dad's attempts to help him do show that he did care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it didn't work. So he was kind of like, well, the next best thing I can do is get him a good position um, and hope that it straightens him out a bit. Okay. Which it didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, if we didn't know the end of the story, wouldn't we be depressed about now? <laughs> yeah, I know. So Newton actually had fallen in love with a girl when he was about 16 and she mm-hmm. was 13. There was this family, mm-hmm. the family had looked after his mum when she was sick and he'd kind of gone to visit them because he had nothing better to do. And he mm-hmm. met the daughter and he was like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to marry her. I just love her so much. Um, and he did try to desert the Navy um, in order to go see her. Wow. Um, but he was caught and dragged back and flogged for it. Ooh. Yeah. Pretty painful. Can't desert the um, Navy. <laughs> no. So this ended up in him fantasizing alternately about assassinating his captain and Ooh. committing suicide himself. So he was in a pretty terrible place. Yeah. Yeah. A bit dramatic and, too. Yeah, I mean, things were really grim for him. He was not a happy bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of either of these things, he just acted out so badly that even like the most awful sailors were horrified by him. Hmm. Like his blaspheming and his yeah. drinking and his womanizing. They were just like, oh my goodness, we're bad. But see yeah. that Newton guy. Gosh. Yeah. Goodness. Um, he was so bad that he managed to get himself swapped out of the Navy. So <laughs> if they met another boat, they could um, basically swap their recruits for sailors on the other boat. So if like they had a really incompetent person or someone like Newton, they were like, please, it's not worth our while keeping this guy. They could, <laughs> they could take sailors from the other boat and yeah. then the other boat would have to take the um, the now ex-Navy. Wow. So Newton managed to get out of the Navy by being a nasty piece of work. Yeah. But then, because he didn't have the discipline of being in the Navy, 
he could do anything he wanted and he actually just got worse. Mm. Um, I should probably like pause here and ask you if you've got any thoughts on this so far. Yeah, it's just, it's just, well, it's a lot of really strange things that I'm thinking of in terms of what was allowed to occur in that time that people could just force you into military and then be like, nah, we're just going to swap you out. But if you find what just happened about him just being traded off, dehumanizing, you're going to love the next bit of the story. Mm -hmm. So... Newton managed to get off that boat. He got himself a land-based job as a slave trader, which pretty much meant kind of looking after or overseeing the slaves that were already in compounds and stuff, but Mm. also going and trading and getting more in land. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was employed by a man called Amos Klo. Mm -hmm. And the trouble began not with Klo himself, but with his mistress, who was a native African lady. So she came from a prominent, this girl, P.I. Um, I don't know what it stood for, um, but it's two letters, P.I. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was said to be a princess in her tribe. Mm. So this is the point at which the modern narrative about slavery comes apart a bit. Mm-hmm. So she decided that she hated Newton. And it's not clear why. It could be because, you know, he wasn't very likable. Um, or it could yeah. be just that... <laughs> she took something against him for no real reason yeah it was fine until Chloe had to leave so Chloe had been protecting Newton a lot um but Chloe had to go away to sea and Newton came down with a fever which meant that he couldn't go with him mm-hmm. and basically the minute that Chloe weighed anchor and started sailing away this woman started on Newton so she basically treated him worse than her slaves. She kept him with very little water. She only fed him leftovers when she felt like it. So she'd be like, oh, come get the leftovers from my plate. And then he'd like get them. And then because he was so weak with the fever and everything, he'd like drop them. Mm -hmm. And she would basically say to him, well, you can't pick them up. You dropped them. So tough. Um, She was, oh man. But she'd also have like her servants throw rocks at him and throw limes at him. And then as he grew weaker and couldn't walk very well, she'd have like her servants follow him around, mocking the way he was walking and stuff. Mm. Um, And it was so bad that even the slaves themselves, who were not treated well, Mm -hmm. felt really sorry for him. And they would like try and sneak him food and water and stuff and help him. Dang. Yeah. So Chloe returns. Mm Mm-hmm. And he doesn't believe Newton is innocent. He believes his mistress. Oh. Yeah, so Newton's like, this woman is is basically abusing me and I don't know why. And Mm -hmm. Chloe's like, well, there must be a reason. So Mm. tough. Um, And he actually joined in with the bad treatment. And Mm. at one point, they had him planting lime trees and Chloe was passing by with P.I., And they mocked him, apparently saying like, oh, maybe by the time these trees grow, you'll have made it back to England and got yourself a ship and come back and you can eat of them. Um, Wow. Which was really mean. But do you know what? (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, Which must have been like super awkward. (laughs) Um, Wait, 
so what sorry you're gonna get to that later i don't want to jump no, in go, go, go ahead ask ask so he was working for this guy chloe and basically being abused so at this point was he not getting paid was he just like another slave he was like shackled and everything apparently wow. he was effectively another slave it reminded me actually of the prodigal son story Mm. like where this guy goes off on his wild living mm-hmm. and ends up in the lowest place where yeah. even the slaves are feeling bad for him. Yeah. Which is quite something. Yeah. Anyway, at this point, Newton is barely 21. Um, After 18 months with these two, someone else came and took him on. They came mm. and were like, oh, can I employ this guy? And they were just like, well, good riddance. Wow. Um, and in complete providence, a ship called the Greyhound turned up um, nearby. Mm-hmm. And the captain was had been told by Newton's dad to look out for him mm-hmm. because he, did, he didn't know what had happened. Newton had disappeared and he was kind of like, where's my son? Yeah. Um, and they told... So by that point, Newton's um, status in life had improved a lot. So he was kind of like, nah, I'm not coming back. Like, I've got a good job here and everything. Yeah. Um, so they basically lied to him and told him that he was like inheriting a big fortune. <laughs> <laughs> they lied to Newton and to get yeah. him to come. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh yeah, some random relative died and you're inheriting a lot of money, but you got to come back to England to claim it. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, cool, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a bit annoyed when he found out that wasn't true. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he's a guest of the captain, but he didn't improve his behavior at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was an absolute nightmare. He encouraged drinking competitions and he almost was like competitive with his swearing and blaspheming. Mm. And he even there were sailors that he tried to persuade to abandon their faith. Wow. Apparently as well, while he was in Africa, he dabbled in witchcraft. Oof. Yeah, so he's... <laughs> pretty nasty guy yeah so the greyhound was returning to england but they what they would do was they would come down to the west coast of africa pick up slaves make the journey across the atlantic sell the slaves in america and buy other goods like sugar uh tobacco stuff like that and then Mm. they come back across the atlantic to england Mm -hmm. so that's what they did and it was during the journey back that the famous storm happened so there was this massive storm and basically the crew were facing almost certain death mm-hmm. and they were fighting to keep afloat and they were losing people and they were getting water in the boat and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Newton kind of was like blocking holes and stuff. And he made the remark, may the Lord have mercy on us. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, he realized that he actually meant it. And it was the first time in a long time that he'd used the Lord's name without blaspheming. Wow. Yeah. So they escaped from the storm only to face death by starvation because they'd lost their supplies. Wow. And the boat was really badly damaged. It was out in the Atlantic, like miles from land. Mm -hmm. And the captain even began to blame Newton for what had happened. (gasps) He was just like, well, you were the one that was blaspheming like crazy. Judgment. Yeah. And at one point he he was even like, do you know what? Maybe this is a Jonah situation. Maybe we have to throw him overboard and that's the only way we're going to survive. (laughs) Goodness. 
it actually ended up making Newton even more convicted of his sin because he was like, maybe it's true. Mm. Maybe this is why um, we're all suffering. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they made it. And that was just the beginning of God's saving grace in Newton's life. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this um, and all the terrible things Newton did and his rebelliousness, even mm-hmm. to the point of like trying to make atheists of other people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking how often we like sugarcoat the early years of his life. Yeah. Like you read biographies and sometimes they almost skim over his vices as if they're kind of like embarrassed to admit that he might have been a naughty boy. Yeah. And it got me thinking about how uncomfortable we find it to know that people were sinners before they were saved. Um, what do you think about that? Is this something you've come across? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I don't find it uncomfortable. I find it comforting because, you know, we've all, we were all rebellious headed towards Um, like I said, that same path before Christ saved us. And, and, and that is, you know, to varying degrees, to varying degrees of social, you know, uh, judgment and, and scorn, but we were all going that way. So I find it very comforting to know that the Lord could redeem people so dramatically I mean I'm not I'll happily obviously talk about Newton's life before he was saved but I just I feel like there is a a sort of section within Christianity which is almost ashamed of sin like if someone was a great Christian after they were saved we kind of just don't really talk about before they were saved because it's embarrassing and we downplay it and we gloss over it um, but you know what, if, to know what kind of person we were before we were saved surely makes the grace all the more incredible. Yeah. I don't know. I was reading about his life and I began to wonder if maybe we kind of gloss over how bad it was because we resent the idea that God would save someone that bad. Like we know God saves sinners, mm-hmm. but you know, mentally we kind of put a limit on what that means. Yeah. So the second thing I kind of wanted to draw out from his life is that grace is slow progress. Um, Mm. I I think a lot of the time, like I remember growing up and people would be like, oh yeah, there was this guy and he was a complete drunkard and then he got saved and that night he went home and poured all his alcohol down the sink and never drank again and it was so Mm. wonderful. (laughs) And you're kind of like, oh man, I can't even stop swearing. Like what's wrong with me? (laughs) Like, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, sanctification is ongoing Mm -hmm. so for Newton when he made it back to England despite what would appear to be a genuine conversion and you know I think it was he continued on in the slave trade Mm. so he captained his own ships on several successful voyages Um, and while on those voyages although he found the slave trade distasteful um feeling more like a jailer than a merchant. Mm. He had no real thoughts of leaving it for any moral reasons. So he was much better at caring for his slaves than other people were. There was something like a a 25% or more mortality rate Mm. um, for the crossing at the time. Mm. Um, 
But I think one of his voyages, he didn't actually lose anybody, which was a massive thing at the time. Yeah. And he did take an interest in feeding his slaves properly later yeah. on. Um, but yeah, but that didn't mean he didn't put down rebellion the minute he saw it. Um, mutiny was not unusual. There was usually at least one mutiny per crossing. Um <sighs> Wow. On your average boat, there just was. Um, <laughs> sometimes it was slaves trying to get free. Sometimes it was crew members. Sometimes it was both. Mm-hmm. Um, so he put that down the minute he heard about it. Um, and he felt lust just like any other slave trader. And we'll leave that at that. Mm. He did, however, try to abstain from womanizing, drinking and his other vices. Mm-hmm. Um he didn't always succeed, I don't think, but he did try, which shows that God was at work in him. Mm. Um, he even managed to become more and more faithful to the women he loved. And even though he struggled, the difference in him was that he did struggle. Mm. Um, and I think that's key because as a young man, he just done whatever he pleased with no yeah. regard for the consequences. Hmm. and no desire to please God. Yeah. So, yeah, he actually he actually got a lot of flack from his fellow captains because they were like, oh, you must be so depressed. Like, you must have the melancholy because you're not, you know, going out with us and ports, making mm-hmm. full use of everything that was available there. Wow. Um. So he, he got a lot of flack for that. He did end up leaving captaining so he stopped going to sea in 1753 he was aged 28 at that Hmm. point he had married polly the girl he fell in love with Hmm. um she didn't keep very well so it ended up being a good thing that he he ended up not going to sea anymore Hmm. but his reasons weren't to do with conscience or conviction um but because he had some sort of like stroke or seizure it's it's not really clear um but it was very dramatic. And, you know, the last thing you want in the middle of the Atlantic with a boat full of cargo is for your captain to have a stroke. Mm. So he was told that it would be best if he stayed on shore. So they yeah. got him a job that was basically customs in Liverpool. Mm. Um, so he's still invo- involved with boats and he was still involved with the slave trade because yeah. Liverpool was big on that. Yeah. Um, just not on the water. So... I don't know. I don't think this paints Newton in a bad light. I think it paints him in a realistic one because the truth is that although he was saved dramatically, the narrative that his life did a 180 in that storm isn't true. Yeah. Like there's there's no such thing as someone becoming perfect the second they're saved. So no. yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 news to me because I don't know. I've, I knew that he continued in the slave trade, and I and I know in in this day and age, in our particular cultural context, like if you were involved in the slave trade at all, like you are the worst kind of human being, right? Because that's that's kind of in in this cultural moment, racism um, or ethnically based discrimination of any sort. Particularly, um, chattel slavery is like the worst thing that anyone could ever ever do, um, and it is horrible. I wouldn't agree that it 
that it's that, but it is horrible. It's dehumanizing. Um, but I think understanding that it's not for us necessarily to understand um, his his um, struggles, but just to be matter of fact about that that's what they were. You know, matter of fact that he, it was a lot of, the Lord had to do a lot of sanctifying work on him. Again, like he has to do for all of us. It's just the things that he was involved in, in terms of public sin, uh, were um, much more obvious. Yeah, I mean, they weren't even regarded as sin at that point. It was just part of yeah. the culture. Like, even this, this, the whole slavery thing, like, there was nobody out there at that point who was like, slavery is sin, except for the Quakers. But the Quakers were like this random religious group that people just ignored anyway because they were weird. Mm. You know, it was kind of like those those oddballs are against it, but nobody really sees the problem. So mm. he was being sanctified in many areas it was just yeah. this one specific one that it just didn't register and I th- I think yeah we're all th- have things that we're we're just not aware of mm-hmm. um but I found Newton's story really encouraging because we know we fail even mm-hmm. now I mean I've been a Christian for 15 years but mm-hmm. I still sin mm-hmm. and some of those sins are things that I was doing way back before I was saved, which Mm -hmm. is frustrating. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even someone that we really look up to and think of as great, like John Newton, he he had his struggles and his temptations too. And in many ways that is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So lastly, we're just going to skim over the rest of his life, most of the rest of his life, because we don't have a lot of time. Um, (laughs) And partly because we'll talk about some of it when we talk about William Cooper Mm. Um, and also partly because there are plenty of good biographies you can read if you want to know more about the yep. ins and outs. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I recommend Aitken. Um, so after a while in his job in the ports, Newton began to feel called to the ministry. Mm-hmm. And his, his wife's family was really wary of the Baptists and the independents <laughs> and the dissenters um, <laughs> because they had a little bit of a worldly streak. Mm. Um the family that was okay. not not the um denominations the yeah but john newton was an interesting guy he kind of had friends in all sorts of places mm-hmm. um so the church of england didn't actually want him partly because of this they didn't like his connections <laughs> and yeah. partly because he didn't actually have any formal education uh. so he'd been studying latin and, and stuff at sea um mm. But he hadn't been to like a specific university or studied under a particular minister or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long and difficult road to ordination. But with the influence from some of his friends in high places and a healthy dose of providence, Newton got ordained in the mm-hmm. end into the Church of England. And him and his wife, Polly, found themselves in the little parish of Olney. All right. Yeah. So if you know Olney hymns, that was actually written by uh, Newton and William Cooper while Newton was in Olney. Wow. Yeah. So while he was there, he did a lot of spiritual good. He encouraged prayer meetings. He started Sunday schools. Mm -hmm. Um, 
his friendship with William Cooper, who I cannot wait to talk about, yes. was formed at Olney and they began writing hymns together and collaborated yeah. on the hymn book I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the Newtons were really hospitable people. Um, they had various people coming and going all the time. Mm-hmm. And unusually for a curate, John Newton was actually really approachable. So he didn't like wear his robes all the time. He'd go mm. about in his like captain's jacket, just chatting with people <laughs> and seeing how people yeah. were doing and stuff. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't all kind of like high and mighty. Mm. And in the end, circumstances in Olney became a little tense for various reasons. And Newton and Polly moved on to London. Mm. Um, but he was very much used while he was in Olney um, in personal friendships and as his fame grew within the UK. Mm -hmm. So they moved to London to a place called St. Mary Woolnuth, which is like a... Yeah, I know. (laughs) Another fairy tale town. I was like, (laughs) just making things up. Yeah. Um, So he was a pastor there for some 28 years. So he packed a lot into his life, like so Mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Yeah. And it was actually there that he famously encouraged William Wilberforce mm-hmm. not to leave politics for the ministry but to stay in politics and to continue fighting for the abolition of slavery and mm-hmm. we all know where that went yeah so that's really cool mm-hmm. um and it was when he moved to London that he started to really take a stand against the slave trade and to use yeah. his experiences and what he'd done and seen mm-hmm. to um, persuade people that it was evil and it was unbiblical and it was dehumanizing and stuff. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, was decades later, so it took yeah. some time. Yeah. But so praise God. Yeah, praise God indeed. Mm. Um, so he died at 82, a good age, busy life. Um, Mm. He was buried in Olney, although he has like a memorial in the other place as well. Yeah. And even on his tombstone is inscribed a testimony to the grace of God in his life. Yeah. So Newton did a lot of good spiritually and socially in his post-conversion years. But like you say, with everything going on today, I wanted to kind of like talk a little bit about what we do with people like him. Mm. So if we're honest about history, he was a slave trader. He was a nasty piece of work in his early years. But in his later years, he did fight to abolish the slave trade. He was a good minister who cared mm. for his parishioners. Yeah. Um, and in a world that's tearing down statues of anyone that even knew someone who might have said or done something racist. I mean, how do we as believers deal with the reality of Newton's complicated life? Um. I could. I think the way I think of it is there's a there's another example, and and I'm forgetting his name, but there is a doctor in America who performs like over a thousand abortions, and basically started to become convicted about the fact that he was killing and dismembering little humans, little image bearers, who had by no fault of their own, been decided, you know, it was decided that they needed the death penalty. And he's actually um, a a very fierce advocate for the abolition of, um, of, of abortions because he was in it, you know. And I think maybe as Christians, we could ask the same questions. What do you do with that guy? 
you know? The root of that is sin. It's sinfulness. That's what it is. And God does great things with our sin. He gives us the ability to not sin. He has wiped out the record of our sin against him. And P.S., all sin is against God. So it's all infinitely horrible. It's not like we have, you know, there are different, more devastating effects of sin here on earth, right? If you curse curse me out and disrespect me, or if you stab me, or if you kill me, you know, those are all sins against me and they're all sins against God, but they have varying degrees of consequences. But they're still infinitely horrible against an infinitely holy God. So I think it's not a dismissal, like it's cool. You know, John Newton, he was like, what's up? I'm a slave trader. That's fine. No, it's not fine. It's sinful. But let us not in our cultural moment lose sight of what the root is. The root is that he was a sinner saved by grace. It's a reason his most famous song is his most famous song, you know, and when we're saved, the Lord is sanctifying us. He's cleansing us. That means we were covered in mud head to toe. You couldn't even see our eyes. And then he's by his word is washing us and washing us and washing us. And we should, by his grace, be holier towards the end of our life than at the beginning of our life. You know, it, it should be. That's the theory. Sometimes our journey is like this. You know, sometimes it's like this. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's different charts for all of us, but the trajectory is the same. We're, we're growing towards holiness. So I know that was kind of like a, let's give you the gospel breakdown, but I really do think that in our cultural moment, we say, oh, this is the worst thing someone could do to um, have discrimination and to promote this inhumane treatment of blacks. So that makes you just on a lower, you're on a different caste than us, us non-slaveholding racist Christians. But no, that, that's not the case. Um, that's, that's not the case. And I think we would do well to remember that we are wretches. We are wretches too. And, and, and that outside of the grace of God, um, it doesn't matter if we pay our taxes on time and we do everything right according to the world, we're still hell bound and we are still um, not worthy of the Lord's love, yet he offers it freely to those who repent and believe. Amen to that. That's a, um, a really helpful um, look at things. I mean, you're saying, yeah, this is kind of obvious, but actually, you know what? It's something we do need to say because we're not living in a world that's really thinking about it biblically. Mm. Um, and I know you could look at Newton's life and you could say, oh, all that abolitionist slavery stuff, he's just trying to atone for what he did. Um, but I would argue that he's not. <laughs> no. Um God's grace can atone for our sins and does mm -hmm. atone for our sins. And nothing that mm -hmm. we do is going to 
make us any less guilty. So all Newton's work, you know, if he hadn't been a Christian, but he had still done all the same things, he would still have gone to hell because, um, you know, we can't cover our own sins, but God can. And I think that's important to remember that if God has chosen to forgive a sinner, we have no right to continue to condemn what Christ's blood has covered. It doesn't mean we aren't honest about what happened. It doesn't mean that we don't look at it and go, yeah, that was sin through and through. It just means that it's not our place to, to judge um, and say this person is evil because of what they did when Christ has covered them with his own righteousness. It is the sure hope of Romans 8. There yes. is therefore now no, no condemnation, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. We can't add it after the fact. You know, we can't be like, oh, well, we've become more enlightened. No, there's none. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that even means the Christian who is struggling through what we might think is the worst of worst sins. Guess what? God's the judge of that. And if he saved them, he saved them all the way, fully, completely. There's no wrinkle, like there's no crack where some of their sin actually seeped back into their record. Like it's fully done. We can't add to it. We could grab a mob of us and say, we're all condemning you. It means nothing. In Christ, there is no condemnation. And we should not pretend like people are goody two shoes. No, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't uh, revise history but we should be grateful to God that that's how gracious he is, that he would save what we would consider the worst type of person. And guess what? We're also in that category. He saved us. So, yeah. So just to finish on a, a slightly lighter note, because I know the conversation's been quite sort of heavy. <laughs> um, John Newton had a bunch of near death experiences. So we're just going to do a quick fire true or false (laughs) about the different ways he almost died (laughs) so are you ready for this okay i'm answering true or false yeah so number number one pro-slave traders tried to assassinate him true i'm afraid that's false that i know Uh, (laughs) um okay number two he was nearly impaled one time it's vague. I want to say, yeah, of course. It was true. He was out riding and he like fell from his horse into a bush, but like just inches from where he fell, there was like this massive spike. Um, yeah. Okay. Number three, he nearly drowned when he was drunk. It's got to be true. It is. <laughs> um, he, he was so drunk, he nearly like threw himself overboard, but a lot of sailors at the time couldn't swim and he was the same. I know it's like you live on the water and you can't swim. Oh. Um, but his father actually did die in a swimming accident in Canada. Oh, sad. Oh, they were reconciled before that happened, which is nice. That's okay. good. Number four, he was nearly killed in a carriage accident. False. Yeah, that's false. <laughs> okay. Uh, and number five, he nearly shot himself. Hmm. I'm going to say False. It's actually true. What? It's one of those really stupid things. So he was on 
out on a shooting party with the mayor of Londonderry, as you do. Mm. And he left his gun loaded and it was pointed at his face while he was climbing up a steep bank. No. And it accidentally went off and he nearly shot himself in the face. Oh but my he was gosh. fine. <laughs> wow. That he is really something. He was also nearly killed while he was out um, hunting buffalo one time and he got lost in the African jungle. But anyway, so there you go. Um, an overview, very, very quick overview of Newton's life. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for that, Cara. I think that was, there's a lot to chew on in there and there's a lot, um, you know, keeping in mind that we're a him show. There's a lot to think about in what God has done um, in the lives of all of his, all of his people, all of the church, but particularly this, this massive influential hymn writer um, whose hymns we still enjoy today. So thank you for that, Kara. But until next time, uh, we are really looking forward to seeing more subscribers in our YouTube page and on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. So don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Share this video if you thought it was interesting or worth, um, you know, encouraging somebody else in the church. Uh, but until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>